Honest 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh my goodness. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside my parents' basement in Pennsylvania, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano and Brendan Mortensen. This podcast brought to you by Toyota for legendary safety and reliability. Choose Toyota and let's go places. Brendan, the grind never stops because Michael Elias never stops. And he made a move late last night to acquire a backup catcher. Yeah, we we really thought that we were going home for Christmas break and how silly we were to think mm-hmm. that we would get any sort of time off and that the Orioles wouldn't make a move uh, pretty much immediately after we thought we were taking a little bit of a break. So here we are again. And our podcast from the other day now becomes completely irrelevant. That's not true. That's not true. You need to go back and watch our podcast from yesterday, which in which we talked a lot about uh, Eric Hosmer. We talked... A lot about some, some starting pitchers that the Orioles might sign. And we talked a lot about Michael Gibbons. So that podcast, after you're done with this one, go listen to that one because it is still relevant less than 24 hours later. But the, the majority of this podcast, Brendan, we're going to be talking about the Orioles acquisition of James McCann in a trade with the New York Mets. And Brendan, we were looking at the this offseason at the very start and saying, now I know it's not the biggest need. It's not the most important position that the Orioles need to go out and address this winter, but they do still need to address backup catcher. They have one catcher on the 40-man roster, or did until last night with only Adley Rutschman. They needed to make an addition at this spot. They couldn't just rely on minor league depth, of which they really don't have much, besides Mark Colesbury, who made it through waivers. So they needed to make a big league acquisition, and they did that with James McCann. Yeah, we knew they were going to bring in somebody. There was no way they were going to leave the offseason without bringing in another backup catcher. There was the possibility, as you mentioned, Paul, with with having Mark Colesbury, maybe Anthony Bemboom as possibilities for the backup catcher spot. But James McCann is a pretty significant upgrade over both of those guys. And I would also argue that James McCann is a pretty significant upgrade over Robinson Chirinos, who we saw last year. And the Orioles not only addressed the need, but I think they addressed it pretty well. And it's kind of funny how this offseason has gone so far. You're just pretty much seeing upgrades from what they did last year across the board. You go from Jordan Lyles to Kyle Gibson, from Rugnet Odor to Adam Frazier, and now from Robinson Chirinos to James McCann. And we thought they might go with the free agent, the free agent route with this one, because that's the most likely way to go. But we did hear Michael Elias say back at the beginning of winter meetings that they were kind of waiting for the A's trade of Sean Murphy to happen before that catcher market was really going to get going. And that's what we saw. Once that trade happened where Sean Murphy was dealt by the A's, then we started to see some catchers go off the board. And one of those was Omar Narvaez signing with the Mets. And that kind of made James McCann obsolete in New York because they have Narvaez and the Mets also have the number one prospect uh, in baseball, according to some outlets, in uh, Francisco Alvarez, who is a great catching prospect. So McCann, who signed a four-year, $40 million deal 
two years ago after coming off of an all-star season with the White Sox, he really hasn't lived up to that billing for the Mets. And part of it has been some injuries, certainly not age. He's entering his age 33 season. So this should be his prime in theory, maybe a little bit past your prime if you're a catcher with some with some mileage on your legs. But he just has not been the kind of impact player that they thought they were getting. He has been fine defensively to above average, I think he could say. And from what we've heard, he's a good clubhouse guy. But offensively, he has really struggled with the Mets the last couple of years. Yeah, but I think it's important to point out that he has struggled with the Mets over the last few years in relation to what the Mets expected they were getting. He signs a big deal, as you mentioned, after that 2019 All-Star season and doesn't quite live up to that billing. But for what the Orioles are, A, going to be paying him and B, expecting from James McCann, I don't know if there's many better backup catchers around baseball. I mean, his numbers aren't completely eye-popping. And again, for what the Mets were paying him and for what was expected of him when he went to New York, yeah, he didn't live up to that billing. His offensive numbers were not what you saw in 2019 and not worthy of the $12 million a year that the Mets were paying him. But the Orioles are going to be paying him $5 million over the next two years as he has two years and $24 million remaining on his contract. And the Mets are reportedly paying 19 of that. So the Orioles get him for two years and $5 million, which is an absolute bargain. And you're not expecting him to be the all-star catcher that he was in 2019. You're not going to put the same expectations on James McCann as New York did. You just need him to be a solid backup to Adley Rutschman. You need him to probably hit well against lefties, which he has been able to do throughout his career. And you'd probably like him to play some backup first base occasionally. And he'll probably play 75, 80 games somewhere in that range. So I think for what the Orioles are getting value-wise and what their expectations are for McCann, I don't really know if there's a better fit. Yeah, if he was to be a free agent this winter and the Orioles were to go out and sign James McCann to a two-year, $5 million deal, that would be a massive steal. Now, the Orioles are giving up something in this deal. It's just a player to be named later for right now, so we probably won't know who that is for a while. But typically when it's a PTNLB, NLB, yeah, it's going to be somebody who is – not in your top 30. Sometimes it is for lesser farm systems, but I think the Orioles having the number one farm system in baseball probably are not going to surrender a top 30 prospect. It may be somebody like a Maverick Hanley, somebody who is sitting just outside the Orioles top 30 or Zach Peak, somebody of that ilk. And from what we've heard, I think Dan Conley of The Athletic reported that the Orioles gave the Mets a, a list of five players and the Mets can choose from. So the Orioles are still giving up something, But what you're getting in relation to what you're likely giving up is far out out exceed, far exceeds the cost here, because five million dollars for a backup catcher spread out over two years is really not that much. And for what you're asking for from this position, which is probably 50 to 60 games, maybe to be your backup backstop with a few games mixed in at first base. And James McCann has nine career games at first base and an occasional DH, a righty hitter to go with the lefty Adley Rutschman, who hits lefties pretty well. I think that that's a a huge bargain to go $2.5 million a year and to give up all you're giving up as a player to be named. Yeah, Mark Feinstein reporting that 
The player to be named later is not expected to be a notable prospect. So we're probably not going to be looking back at this trade once we find out who that player is and backtracking and saying, oh, wait, maybe they shouldn't have given up this guy for James McCann. But you're right, Paul. I mean, again, two years for five million is an absolute steal. I mean, look at the deal that Austin Hedges just got. That's one year for five million. And you can make a pretty reasonable case that James McCann is a better catcher than Austin Hedges. And Hedges is getting the money that McCann is going to make over two years this year alone. So it is an absolute steal. In terms of what we should expect from McCann this year, I I think you're right. He'll probably play around 60 to 70 games as the backup catcher. I think we'll see him come in as the catcher against left-handed hitters a decent amount whenever Adley Rutschman needs an off day. McCann has a career 777 OPS against lefties. I don't think we'll see him DH a ton against left-handed pitching, but I could certainly see it, especially because Kyle Stowers is more than likely going to be DHing against right-handed pitching if he is in the game. So McCann gives you another right-handed bat option to DH against left-handed hitters. And again, that's probably the scenario where you'd want to give Adley an off day if there is a left-handed pitcher, because Adley so far in his very young career, there's still a lot of sample size to be had, but Adley hits a lot better off of right-handed pitching than left-handed pitching right now. So I think McCann is a very good platoon option there. And what is the phrase that we keep using this offseason, Brendan? Buy low. That's what the Orioles are doing with James McCann. Coming off his worst offensive season as a a pro since his rookie year. He hit just 195 with three homers and a 538 OPS last year. All of those numbers were career lows. Now, like I said, entering his age 33 season, age should not be the issue here. And he missed some time last year with injuries. You hope that those are not long-term injuries and that the injuries don't continue but you're not asking him to play every single day and be your everyday backstop. So that should help take some wear and tear off his body. And it feels like those numbers should go back up. It feels like he should be hitting above the Mendoza line because it was just a few years ago that he was that had that all-star season with the White Sox. He had an OPS over 800 for two straight years. And for whatever reason, he could not get it figured out in that Mets lineup last year. But maybe if the Orioles use him a little bit more sparingly, a little bit more against lefties than against righties, he could make a whole lot of sense as your backup first baseman and and your backup catcher. And I think the Orioles probably feel a lot better about first base after this acquisition. I know that the main spot for James McCann and the main reason the Orioles did this deal was so that he could be Adley Rutschman's backup. But we talked about how they just designated Lewin Diaz for assignment. They just put him on waivers. They we're going to talk about in a bit, put Tyler Nevin on waivers with this move. So they really didn't have a backup first baseman. That's why I went to bat for Eric Hosmer yesterday, but the Orioles needed to fill that spot somehow, whether it had been Franchi Cordero, who signed to a minor league deal, making the opening day roster. And I know nine games at first base over the course of a career is not a whole lot, but you liked having that versatility and maybe the Orioles lean a little bit more heavily into that and make sure that James McCann gets as many reps as possible at first base in spring training so that they feel comfortable if Ryan Mountcastle goes down, that McCann can be their first baseman. Yeah. And you mentioned that nine games at first base is not a lot. It's more than anybody else on this roster has. 
at this point. Adley Rutschman has not played first base at the major league level. Anthony Santander is a name who keeps getting tossed around as a potential first base option. He has yet to play first base either. So even James McCann's nine games is second most on this team right now. And I want to go back to what you said about the down numbers last year and, and what could be to blame for that. It's not all of the reasoning, but James McCann got very unlucky last year. When you look at some of the advanced numbers, and I know those aren't everything, but you mentioned his his batting average down at 195. His expected batting average, according to fan graphs, was a 240, which isn't amazing, but it's a heck of a lot better than a 195. His slugging percentage was a drastic difference. His actual slugging percentage was down at 282. His expected slugging percentage was 414. And that would make his OPS look a lot better than a 538. So I think the Orioles must believe in the advanced numbers rather than the actual numbers that we saw from James McCann. And those numbers would indicate that over the next few seasons here, he's going to be trending a little bit closer to the mean. He's going to be getting closer to those expected batting averages, expected slugging percentage. And we're going to see a little bit better counting stats from James McCann. It seems like he got pretty unlucky from what the advanced metrics tell you. Yeah. And like we said at the beginning of the off season, there isn't a whole lot of depth at catcher in the majors right now. And especially free agency wise. I mean, Kurt Casale was the free agent that probably made the most sense for the Orioles at backup catcher. And he's never been a terrific offensive catcher. Gary Sanchez was the best offensive catcher on the market, but what he brings you defensively wasn't going to be what the Orioles were looking for, probably to back up Adley Rutschman. You mentioned Austin Hedges has not been a great hitter the last few years. So Omar Narvaez gets a two-year, $15 million deal from the Mets. Yes, he has a good track record, but the last couple of years, he has not been a very good hitter. So you have to take it all in context. That 538 OPS, I know you would look at that at any other position and say that's unbearable, but for catcher, for right now, and especially for backup catcher, that's suitable for what the Orioles are looking for. Uh, and then it, the other half of this move, Brendan, was the DFAing, the designation for assignment of Tyler Nevin. 26 years old, was in the Michael Gibbons trade along with Terran Vabra and Michelle Desson back in 2020. This doesn't mean that his Orioles career is over per se. He just has to clear waivers before he can be sent back down to AAA. He might get claimed by his dad's team, the LA Angels, perhaps, and Phil Nevin. He might get claimed by another team, or he might pass through waivers and end up back with the Orioles. But it is ironic, I think, that the Orioles, two years and several months after the Michael Givens trade to the Rockies, they have Michael Givens on the roster, and Tyler Nevin is not. Yeah, so you basically just gained a Terran Vavra for kind of free with just a few years of not having Michael Givens. But it, unfortunate for Tyler Nevin, he just he kind of got boxed out of a lot of the positions that he could have had a chance at. Obviously, at third base, Ramon Rios kind of took over last year. Nevin was fantastic at AAA Norfolk, but just wasn't able to translate that as well to the big leagues. Had just a 560 OPS in his 58 games last year. It's hard to get into a rhythm when your playing time is that sporadic. I mean, Nevin was getting some occasional chances in a corner outfield. He would play third base here and there, play first base here and there. 
you don't envy that spot because again, like it's just hard to find your swing, find your rhythm at the big league level when you're not really getting consistent playing time. Hopefully he clears through waivers and is able to stay in the organization. I think he is a solid backup option if you need another guy at first base or third base or a corner outfield. But again, that we've just kind of seen with Nevin, the success at the AAA level just hasn't really been able to translate to the majors, which is unfortunate because he plays way too well to stay at Norfolk, but then doesn't really play well enough to stick on a 26 man roster up at the big leagues. And his defense wasn't enough to make up for his offensive woes because played solid defense at first, but probably slightly below average defense at third. They really didn't use him at third base all that much. And the corner outfield, we almost never saw Tyler Nevin there. And like you said, he's pretty blocked up behind the guys that are already there and the prospects that are coming up. So there just wasn't enough room for him. I'm glad we got to see him play in Baltimore. And if it is the end of his Baltimore career, then I think that it's good that he got up to the big leagues for a guy that was, you know, in the back end of the Orioles top 30 a few years ago. Remember, he was never expected to be. He was always the second fiddle of this trade behind Taron Vavra, and he was never expected to be, you know, a, an everyday player by a lot of standards. So for him to come up to the big leagues is nice to at least see with the Orioles. And like I said, it, it, there's no guarantee that this ends his Orioles career per se. Uh, but Brendan, I think that the Orioles still have another move or two to make. I don't think they're done. I keep saying this after every move that they've made so far adding Adam Frazier as your second baseman corner outfielder, adding James McCann in a trade. Now that adds your backup catcher uh, signing Kyle Gibson. That's a starter for the back end of your rotation and Michael Gibbons as a reliever in your bullpen. So that's four major moves that the Orioles have made, but I still tend to believe that they are going to acquire a starting pitcher via trade or via free agency. Yeah, I could still see them adding to the front end of this starting rotation. I could still at, see them adding a bat as well. We talked a lot about James McCann's offense. He isn't really coming in for the offense. The bat isn't fantastic. Again, he has pretty good splits against lefties, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Orioles bring in a left-handed bat somewhere that could maybe be in the middle of the lineup somewhere. Real quick, Paul, I want to go back to uh, McCann with his defense because we talked a lot about his bat We've seen I've seen some comments on Twitter and things like that saying that he's a marginal upgrade over Robinson Chirinos, which I really don't think is the case. McCann, according to Fangraphs last year, had a defensive value of 5.8. Chirinos was at negative 11.4 in that. And McCann last year was in the 62nd percentile in pitch framing. And Chirinos was in the first percentile for pitch framing. So I think we talked a lot about how the bat has not really been there as much with McCann, but he's still a pretty significant defensive upgrade over Robinson Chirinos. And I know there were some games last year where you could feel the drop off a little bit in the pitching when Adley Rutschman was catching versus when Chirinos was catching. When Chirinos was in the game, you felt the drop off a little bit. And I don't think we're going to feel that as much with James McCann. So I just wanted to touch on that quickly, but you're right. I think there are still moves to be made. I think there is still a possibility for a higher end starting pitcher. I think there's still a possibility for a left-handed bat as well, because while McCann fills the backup catcher, potentially backup first base role, I think you could still use another power hitting left-hander. And 
I will say the good thing about Robinson Torinos when the Orioles signed him last year, I got to stop saying I will say. I notice that a lot. I, I always say it. You're going to say it. You're about to say it. Obviously, I'm going to say it. I can just say it. The addition of Robinson Torinos was one that the Orioles made knowing full well last offseason that Adley Rutschman was going to either make the opening day roster and take the job and run with it, or he was going to get called up early in the season. And Robinson Torinos knew that too when he signed. He knew what he was signing up for. He knew that he was going to be replaced and he was going to be a backup catcher and he was going to have to mentor Adley Rutschman, although Adley is now on his path to superstardom and probably doesn't need a whole lot of mentorship. But James McCann is a trade acquisition. So he's going from an everyday catcher, a full-time catcher with the Mets the last several years, the White Sox the year before that, to a backup. So we're assuming that he's going to be okay with that and be able to accept his kind of role. We did hear from uh, Bob Nightingale, I believe, that tweeted that he had spoken to Michael Elias and he was excited about coming to the Orioles because... Well, I believe Nightingale tweeted that Brian McCann was excited about coming to the Orioles. But but we're (laughs) assuming he meant James McCann in that instance. He did delete that tweet. It wasn't (laughs) quite an arson judge situation. Uh, So he did delete that tweet and post James McCann, two great catchers. And uh, so I I do think that he will be able to fit into this role. But like I said, he he probably has some higher expectations. And maybe if he outplays this kind of role, he ends up being a trade piece and the Orioles, you know, go cheaper at this position or they have some depth come up through their system at backup catcher, be it Maverick Hanley getting a second mention on this podcast or somebody else. So I do want to say that uh, and I will say that Robin Cinturino's served his role admirably for the Orioles, but it made a whole lot of sense to upgrade at that position because it's less important to have a mentoring catcher, a mentoring veteran catcher, and more important to just have a flat out productive backup catcher. Yeah. And we have talked a lot about Robinson Chirinos and Rugnet Odor. And despite you know their pitfalls on the field last year, and maybe not putting up the numbers that the Orioles were hoping that they would, Again, you go back to the fact that you asked anybody in that clubhouse who kind of the most important veteran leaders were, they would have said guys like Jordan Lyles, Robin Cinturinos, and Rugnet Odor. Those are the roles that they were brought in to fill. And like you said, they filled them admirably. And even though their play wasn't top notch, maybe their role in the clubhouse is really hard to quantify. It's, it's hard to say just how valuable that was. And I think the Orioles are doing a nice job this offseason of not only filling that role with Gibson, Frazier, and McCann, but also probably getting some more production on the field as well. It's nice to have a good veteran presence. It's nicer when that good veteran presence is also putting up pretty good numbers as well. Exactly. All right. Well, that just about does it for this very brief emergency podcast from our various locations, the Mass and Bunker, as we used to call it yeah. during covid uh, we're buried somewhere deep. These were not in the living room anymore. I mean, no. thank goodness the podcast setup is not there. Yeah. That I, was terrible. I don't know why the lighting in my dad's office is showing my black Orioles pullover to be purple, but that's... I kind of like the color scheme. I, I like the change. I think the Orioles should go... Look, people always say that the colors orange and purple go together really, really well. And yeah, I, yeah. I think that's what the Orioles should go with. I think I got to host a Rockies podcast. I think that's Maybe. what I got to do. Or be on the ne- the replacement for Barney. One of those two. Uh, at Brennan Morty is his Twitter handle. I am at Paul Mancano. Please uh, give us a like, a subscribe, five stars, a thumbs up on YouTube. 
and we are live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. and occasionally doing emergency podcasts from our basements. This podcast is brought to you by Toyota for legendary safety and reliability. Choose Toyota and let's go places and we will catch you next time. Happy holidays, everybody.